Hello everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Global in the Granite State podcast, a program of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for your ongoing interest in this series of global discussions. For those first-time listeners, we hope you enjoy your inaugural experience exploring global issues and connections with us. My name is Tim Horgan, and I am the Executive Director of the Council, as well as your host of this program. It is my pleasure to help lead you through this exploration of how our world works and its connections to everyday lives. As always, we want to thank our sponsor, McLean Middleton, for their support. It is an honor to have such a prestigious sponsor of this great program and shows how they are at the center of important community conversations. McLean Middleton is one of New England's premier full-service law firms with over 100 attorneys throughout offices in New Hampshire and Massachusetts. McLean Middleton's attorneys have been providing trusted legal services to businesses throughout the region for over 100 years. Learn more at McLean.com. If you enjoyed today's program, we hope you will leave us a comment and give us a rating. Your feedback can help guide our ongoing efforts to tell important global stories. Also, consider donating to the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire to help support this great work. Check out the link in the show description. Before we get started, I want to warn listeners that this episode has some graphic descriptions that some may find disturbing. We feel it is important to the understanding of history, so have included them to give the true context of the genocide that was perpetrated in Rwanda. Without further ado, let's get started. People here in New Hampshire may not always think about the international connections found here in the state. With a largely homogeneous population outside of a few key locations, the state can seem very far from global events. However, as we have all seen, particularly with the COVID-19 pandemic, what starts in one corner of the world can impact everyone. You also never know when you will happen upon some unique and interesting global contacts right here in the state. This was the case a few weeks ago when I brought my two-year-old daughter to a playgroup. As we went around introducing ourselves, today's guest talked about an upcoming service trip to Rwanda that she had been involved with for several years. Sarah Papa Michael is the director of Thrive Parenting Resources and the Community Development Specialist at the Neurodevelopment Institute of New Hampshire. The connections did not stop there. Sarah had actually graduated and worked at Southern New Hampshire University, the mission partner and host of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. We chatted for a bit, and I wanted to share out her story of the global connections being forged from right here in the state. I'm a graduate from Southern New Hampshire University, and when I was there, I had the opportunity to work in the community service office. And one of the jobs that I had was leading an alternative break trip to South Africa. And while I was there, I just felt a big 
personal passion for being in Africa and helping the people there. Something I can't really explain, just something drew me to being there. And I knew I wanted to go back and I just didn't know how because I was going to be graduating. I think for many people, the experience of traveling abroad and learning about other cultures is a life-changing opportunity. I know that it was for me when I was able to do a semester abroad in Monterrey, Mexico. Even traveling to Canada, which many people here in New Hampshire do, can have long-lasting impact on people. It can also sometimes lead to a connection that impacts your career. After my master's degree, I interviewed for a company called the Neurodevelopmental Institute of New Hampshire. It's also known as NINH. That's where I work now, and I've been there for six years. And during my interview process, I had learned that the president of our company, Sue, she had been to Rwanda and she had been to Africa. And so we had this similar passion. And one of the things I was brought on to do was to get us back into Rwanda and to connect our medical clinic from New Hampshire to the medical clinics there in Rwanda. And so it was just kind of right place, right time. I think three months later, we went on our first trip and brought a couple of family, friends and coworkers. Six months later, went again, the following year went again, and now we just have made some really great connections there, and we continue to go back, and that's where we'll go again in June. It is so wonderful to know that many people here in the state are doing great work like this, to help make the world a better place. The World Affairs Council of New Hampshire sees the complex issues that face the world and works through exchanges, dialogues, and education to leave its mark in this space. With so many wonderful organizations doing great work, we are excited about the opportunity to continue building our global community. One unique feature of this program, however, is that it is run by a for-profit company rather than a nonprofit. The program, however, receives great community support for all they do from here in the state. For the funding, everybody that comes on the trip, the cost is $2,000. That includes from the time you leave the Boston airport to the time you get back, flights, hotel, food, and then extra activities that might be built in. And then people have the opportunity to fundraise that. And above that, some of our trip members fundraise the money and they need to put it towards the personal cost of the personal $2,000 of the trip. Other people pay the trip costs out of pocket and put all of their fundraised money towards the mission projects that we work on while we're there. Either way, we are just happy to have the bodies there, the extra hands and the skill set and people that are passionate about helping. It doesn't matter if you come with us and bring $1 for a donation or you bring $10,000. The point is that you're changing lives there. You're changing your personal life and personal perspective, and you can come home and talk about it and raise more money by talking about your hands-on experience. But everything that we get is fundraised. We have had a couple of local organizations to New Hampshire help us out and donate either gift cards for raffles or items for yard sales or attend our bowling events or advertise on this, like a podcast or a radio show. And that's always been super helpful. But Usually every trip we've been able to cover the cost of all of the projects that have been planned for us while we're there. And then we're usually able to help with some sustainability on those projects for a short time afterwards. And that's all dependent on how much we can raise. While they are on these trips, they're doing a number of programs to help the people within the communities they are working. What I was really happy to hear is that this group of volunteers takes the do no harm approach where the people they are helping really are viewed as partners in the process, not charity cases. This helps to prevent projects that create dependency or force decisions on communities that are not right for them. Through Wackenh's international exchange programs, we take a similar approach. 
The United States has a lot of great insights to share, but we can also learn a lot from the people we engage with around the world. One of the most successful efforts is the Hope Visits. The New Hampshire group provides the family they are visiting with $50 worth of food and supplies in the hopes that it will help get them through to the next month and get them on the path to savings. They also leave behind various donated items for the family to use, such as crank flashlights, clothes, shoes, toothbrushes, toothpaste, and other valuable items. It would be similar to somebody coming to you in your house and saying, I'm going to pay all of your bills and I'm going to get all of your groceries for a month. I'm paying your car bill and your electricity and whatever money you made this month, it's just profit. It's just for you to get into the next month. So we're not letting them rely on any of us. We're not holding their hands. We're just giving them a pick me up and some prayers and some love and playing with their kids and maybe leaving behind a couple pairs of shoes and some clothes and We bring 16 suitcases of donations, and so we're definitely leaving some stuff for them that they get to pick out. We don't say, here are your pink shoes, here are your blue shoes. You pick out what you want from what we have, and then, you know, we'll see you next year when we come, and we'd love to see some progress and some smiles, and then, you know, they know that we're coming back, and we're going to check on you, and they just look forward to telling us about their success, too. In addition, they have helped facilitate and fund a program that sponsors children to go to school. We all know the power of education to improve lives, communities, and economies, so this really creates a change from a grassroots level. So it's $40 a month, and they get to go to school, but not only are they at school, they get a uniform, which is a shirt and pants, which they may not have had. They get a meal for lunch, which they certainly wouldn't have had, and they get an education and a place to be. Meanwhile, it gives the parents an opportunity to work or to take care of the younger or older siblings that might be at home as well. My dad's sponsor child is graduating high school this year, and we're so excited. I get to see her in a couple of weeks, and it makes my eyes water to think I'll get to see her because it was just really special when she found out she was being sponsored. It was not a dry eye around. Another way they are helping comes in the form of obtaining market space for people to sell any number of items, which can create long-term sources of income. They are not telling them what to sell or how to sell it, but rather providing them with the initial funding needed to get their businesses off the ground. This angel investment style model can change a family's life for years to come. And then also, yeah, definitely setting people up at the market has been a success. You know, you have a lot of people in Rwanda have these special trades of making things out of materials that are just natural and around them. So they don't even necessarily have to pay for the long grassroots to weave baskets with or different types of things like that. Or, you know, you can get a couple of chickens there, build a nice chicken coop for a small amount of money, and then they have eggs. And whether they're selling the eggs on the street or at the market, or if they're eating the eggs themselves, it's something. But for them, buying chickens would have been completely out of their price range in any way. With all the great work they are doing while in Rwanda, I wondered why they have focused their energy in this community. There are thousands, if not millions, or even more communities that need support. At first, it was simply a place where these volunteers had connections. However, it has grown into something more than an act of convenience. We could go anywhere, but we choose to continue to go back to Rwanda because we have personal contacts there that help us plan out our trip. We have families there that we sponsor for their children to go to school, and we get to visit those families every time. And then ever since we started going back as a group in 2015, we have started some sustainability projects, and we like to go check on the progress and see 
what worked and what didn't work. It's been a lot of trial and error, a lot of good ideas that have come to fruition and been great. And a lot of ideas that maybe needed some more time or thought or didn't pan out for some reason. And so we like to just go check in and let them know we're here to support. For example, there was a new medical hospital being built and we got to go visit it when it was people carrying buckets of sand on their heads to get the foundation going. And now it's up and running. And we got to see that progress throughout the years and help out with that. And similar, we oftentimes will help somebody get a stand at the market, the local market, we'll buy them their initial resources, we'll buy them their first year at the market kind of thing with some of the funds that we've raised. And then we like to go back and see if they've been successful or what could have helped them be more successful or just congratulate them on that. And the kids have started to get to know our group a little bit more. And so I have a couple pictures of side-by-sides of kids we visited in 2015 and then seeing them two years later in 2017 and they recognize us and we recognize them. And so I would love to go to another country. Um, We have talked about expanding and going to other places and I'm sure that we will someday, but we just love going back to the root of where we started and they still need an abundance of help. So our work there is far from done. One thing I feel is missing from a lot of the conversations about projects like this is the opportunity to truly get to know the people and communities where this work is done. We hear a lot about the numbers and the projects, but not as much about the people themselves. So what does the community and the people that Sarah and her team work with look like? So we have a great contact there. Um, His name is Pastor Francis, and then he kind of has a team with him that he's very well known in his community and people look up to him a lot. And so he's able to help us identify the needs of the people there. He knows the families personally from his church or from the church that he attends. And so he's able to help us be the needs-based help that we want to be. We understand incredibly when helping hurts and the motto behind that. And so we always wanna make sure we're identifying what their needs are and what our skill sets are and how those can pair together. The people over there are always welcoming us with open arms. We've never had any problems with that. And they're always excited to just see pictures of our families and our kids and spend time together. The mothers there line up with their newborn babies for us to hold them. And, you know, it's kind of considered like a blessing for somebody else to hold a baby. So that's great. And we also have a couple other contacts that we've met along the way. Our driver who was driving our van from our very first trip has driven our van every single trip. His name is DJ. We're close with them on Facebook when we can connect because there's a huge time zone change and some electricity and Wi-Fi issues over there that we deal with. But it really does feel like family when we go to visit them. And I've already told all the people that are coming on the trip for the first time that be ready to fall in love with Francis and DJ because they will change your life and it's just like having another family. Of course, Pastor Francis plays a big role in helping this program to succeed in the way it has. Without a local connection like this, with such deep roots in the community, none of this would be possible. So we met him on our first trip going over there and he's got four girls. He just had a new baby this year and we're so excited about that. And yeah, him and his wife have been living in Rwanda and um, I'm not sure exactly their age, but you know, with the genocide being 28 years ago, they were certainly around and alive for that as well as DJ, you know, lost some family members and some important people in their lives, saw some really tragic things and are just really key people in the community of 
trying to help turn things around. And Francis is very well organized. And so he's able to communicate with me. We meet every Thursday at 8 a.m., even with the time zone change. And he really just wants what's best for his people, as do we. But even beyond the people who are consistently involved on the Rwandan side, there are many people they meet throughout their travels and work. I specifically remember bringing sunglasses one year. I brought like 10 pairs of sunglasses. And anytime I'd see kind of a teenage girl sitting with her head down in between her hands or having a hard day, you know, I can't really speak to her with my words because our translator might be busy or doing something else. But I can go over, offer to put a hand around her if she wants or give her my sunglasses that I was wearing and say, I see you, I care about you. Here's some sunglasses and maybe it'll make your day a little bit brighter. And we always say, even if somebody that did that for me here in the United States, if I was having a bad day and you came up to me and said, I noticed you're having a really bad day. Like, can I offer you some coffee? Just how special that would be. And that would turn my day around. And so we try to do as many small acts of kindness as we can, as long as they're willing to accept and as well as our big acts of kindness. Rwanda, of course, is a good-sized country and one of the most densely populated in all of Africa. It is roughly the size of Maryland and has almost 13 million inhabitants as of 2020. There's a mix of both urban and rural, each with their own challenges and opportunities. Therefore, this group certainly cannot expand to all parts of the country. Rather, they focus on areas in and around the capital, Kingali. We will fly into Kigali. That's where we will stay for our accommodation. We are doing two huge work days in another village. I have heard from Francis. I haven't looked at it myself, so I'm not sure if this should go in the podcast or not. But Rwandan's government is now starting to support some of their people in a sense that they are identifying who is the poorest of the poor and putting them into different sections so that they're able to be assisted on different levels. So there is a village that we'll go visit. It's three hours, one-way drive out of Kigali. And that is a village that the government can help start supporting to an extent, but with a lot of help. It's, it's different than a government supporting people here, but we will go there. So that's three hours outside of Kigali one way. And then we, our team, it's nice because we are going through, it's kind of a do-it-yourself trip, like a DIY, Francis and I, and some of our team plan everything together. So we're able to go off of street view. A lot of companies that are American run, you know, you have to stay in street view. You have to stay within these legalities or, you know, just preferences, liabilities. We have the opportunity to really go deep into the villages and deep into the places that are not getting any government help, or they're not getting any other team help from organizations. And that's with the help of Francis identifying those families. So we do a lot of work in Kigali, the surrounding areas in Kigali, We visit a lot of the schools that are within kind of that district. And then this time we'll do two huge help days in that farther out village. Many people maybe only know a little about Rwanda, mostly focused on the genocide of the 1990s. There is certainly more to this African nation, but the genocide still looms large after almost 30 years. And so a lot of the people there are genocide survivors. The analogy I like to use is with it being 28 years ago, you know, if I was three years old then, now you're an adult, but you didn't get a chance to go to school or your parents might have been killed or surrounding family or siblings. If you were 10 years old, you certainly didn't go to school for a long amount of time and saw some things. If you were 20 years old, saw those things and are still living with that trauma. There's not a lot of trauma work that was you know, able to be done from my understanding, certainly not to the extent of the therapy and the kind of things that we would have here. 
and then just the poverty level. And so he sees that every single day, he sees the struggle and he's really trying to make a difference. And there's definitely still a large impact. You know, a lot of the people that we meet that help us translate or are helping hands driving the trucks that bring all of the food or the suitcases that we bring. Um, you know, we try to hear their stories. We always do a genocide survivor's story circle where we meet with them, we bring them food, we bring them supplies, just meet with them and hear their stories. And sometimes just being able to, you know, give a hug and give some support is great. We are lucky to be able to bring therapists with us. We have PhD level neuropsychologists coming. We have a master's level mental health counselor coming. And although we'll need help with translation, that will certainly, any of those skills are helpful. Um, anybody that comes on our trip for a first time, we have them go to the genocide memorial, which is a really nice memorial that is set up there and just really get to know the impact of why we're here and what happened in those times, 800,000 people killed in a 100 day stretch. It's definitely heartbreaking and you can still see the pain in their eyes when they talk about it. They're fine to talk about it for the most part because they know that we're there to support them. We're there to help. There is hope. We're there to provide some hope. But we've definitely heard some really terrible stories. And we were driving over a bridge and the van driver will tell us there were bodies floating through the river under us. It was filled with blood for weeks. And, you know, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing that. And then you can kind of picture that as you're driving over that bridge and you're looking at that water and you're imagining what that would be like as anybody, a child, an adult, an elderly person. And so it's really impactful. And we do our best to help in any way we can, any resources that we can. Certainly having the therapist is a huge thing that we can have and just bringing anything to make them smile for that one day, that half a day. We all bring little items from home that we care about and we can give them to whoever, whenever we want. You can easily see the powerful experiences that are built through this program and the opportunities for life-altering connections to occur. We see this in our International Visitor Exchange programs where the learning is really a two-way street. There are so many diverse perspectives out there, lived experiences, and insights in this great big world of ours that we miss out on a great number of opportunities for growth if we ignore what the world has to offer. It's definitely a two-way street. We get uh, an entire new life's perspective by going over there. Gratefulness when we come home for the things that we have um, and the opportunity to teach others that, you know, what might seem like big world problems over here, which I'm not saying are not valid. Everybody's problems are valid, no matter what the extent they are. It just gives you a life perspective that at Somebody always has it better than you and somebody always has it worse than you. And if we can bring that back to New Hampshire and back to the United States and specifically to the generation growing up now, to my boys and to your children, you know, I think we can raise and arouse some empathy within our own communities and the next generation. And I think that is priceless and something that definitely comes from going on a trip like the trips that we go to in Rwanda. Unfortunately, the past couple of years have been difficult for most people with the ongoing pandemic, including preventing this program from making their twice-yearly trip. I personally had an interesting pandemic time. I had a second baby and had two under two at home, so I wouldn't have been going on the trip anyway. 
the team did go while I stayed back with my oldest. And then with the pandemic, you know, we weren't able to go even going on this trip, there's a little bit of nervousness regarding it. We do still as of right now have to test for COVID before we leave when we get there, before we leave there when we get back. So you know, we do understand something is probably going to come up COVID related. I just wish that I knew what it was so I could plan for it. <laughs> but they actually have lower numbers than us at this point. They are considered a level one in their rating. A lot of people there, unfortunately, did get COVID, but had some resources by the government and so on. Our contacts there all survived and are, are still around. But you know, of course, it did have some impact on their communities as it did back here. I'm not sure exactly the extent to it because we had so much going on here to worry about. But I am excited that we can finally go back and that everything has a line that I'm able to attend as well. Overall, this program has created some amazing and long lasting changes in the communities they work in and the communities that they come from. While you may not think you have an opportunity to make a change in this gigantic world of ours, sometimes it is the littlest things that can make the biggest impact. Sarah wants everyone to know that. Everybody is welcome on our trip specifically, and I can leave my contact information. I know it seems overwhelming to think, how would I ever get connected to somebody like that? But that's the best part about our trip. There's no prerequisite. There's no special skill that you have to have. Just people that really want to go. We're not going to spend any time convincing somebody that they should go. Because if you're not passionate about it, it will be very hard. It's a hard trip. There's a time zone change. There's different water. There's different food and diet. It's a lot of hard labor. We're carrying 50-pound bags of rice. We're walking all day. We're in cars for three hours at a time. But if you have the heart and the desire to go, then just know that you have an opportunity to go through us, and we would love to bring you on to a next trip. I want to thank Sarah and all the amazing people at NINH for their wonderful work in helping to make the world a better place. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope that you enjoyed the discussion and benefited from learning more about how New Hampshire is connected to the world and that every person can make a difference through both large and small actions. It is efforts like this that give us all hope for a better future. Again, if you enjoyed today's discussion, please leave us a comment and rate this episode. You can also email us your feedback at council at wac nh.org. We truly value your interests. As always, Tim Horgan is the jack of all trades for this program. From audio engineer to producer to host and promoter, he does a pretty great job, if I do say so myself. Our theme music is admin by A.A. Alto, and our interlude music is Mr. Smith by Slinky. This has been a program of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm.